We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Mike McGlinchey of the San Francisco 49ers, and you're listening to the Candlestick Chronicles. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. It is Tuesday. It is February 5th, and I'm kind of bitter to be recording this podcast, to be honest. Uh, But I'm joined, as always, by Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, what is going on? That's a strong intro, man. Anytime someone's like, hey, I'm bitter to be here. Here's Kyle. (laughs) That's a great (laughs) good start for me. Yeah, so the reason why why I'm bitter is because right about now as we record this, the flight that I had been planning to take to uh, the big island of Hawaii uh, is probably touching down like as we speak. Um, And I'm not on it, obviously. Uh, My dog got an infection and is under the weather and is not feeling great. Uh, so because I just couldn't go on vacation knowing that my dog was in like serious pain and like emotional trauma, I decided to stay home. And because I'm home, we're recording a podcast, which wasn't really planned this week. So you guys are all welcome. Uh, Kyle, how was your weekend? It was good. It was good. Went to Reno for the Super Bowl and watched that bore fest. It turns out I'm not that good of a football fan because I I didn't like that game that much, (laughs) but yeah, it was good. Uh, we always do a party Saturday night kind of as a pre-Super Bowl party and de facto birthday party for my dad. And it's just a bunch of family and friends and we get together and uh, imbibe and play cards. And there's always some basketball game on that, that we'll have on. And it was it was a really good time. Yeah. And it's uh, I think what what people maybe on Twitter don't really understand is like you can have a really well played defensive game and still and the game can still be boring. Like we can watch like a pitcher's duel in baseball where it's like a one nothing game and, and the winning run is scored on a sack fly or something. And that can still be a boring game while everyone appreciates how well the pitchers are throwing. 
similar to how well Bill Belichick's defense played in the Super Bowl and and obviously Wade Phillips' defense for the Rams also played pretty well. It was just a defensive battle, and, and you know, Jared Goff didn't really play very well. Um, but I think really the story of the game, and, and this has been talked about ad nauseum, so we're not going to touch on it for too long, but just the fact that Bill Belichick did what he does. He, he forces the opponent to play left-handed. Um, Todd Gurley was not a factor. Jared Goff didn't really have the play action game because Todd Gurley wasn't a factor. And Sean McVay, the wonderkind coach uh, who has received so much praise over these last couple years for turning around the Rams, didn't really have any answers. And uh, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting just to see all of that unfold because I think everybody thought it would be a high scoring game, Mm -hmm. but these things happen. Not every game is going to be awesome. Uh, Good news. Good news for the 49ers is Kyle Shanahan racked up 28 points and a half against that that Bill Belichick team. So that's that's at least good news for them. Did he get shut out in the second half? Yes, but he scored more than three points. I think so, there were some lessons learned in that game. Definitely. Ask Kyle Shanahan about it. So Yeah, I think so. Uh, moving on, before we get to, this is going to be another free agency preview podcast episode. Uh, we're going to talk about inside linebackers today. Uh, but first, there's a little bit of news. Um, Antonio Brown found himself in the news for the wrong kinds of reasons, and this is specifically related to the 49ers because, well, there's been a lot of talk of Antonio Brown possibly getting traded to the 49ers. So uh, TMZ reported Tuesday morning that back in January, police were called by a woman who's alleged misconduct by Antonio Brown. Uh, no arrests were made. I mean, I, I guess the takeaway from this is just that, you know, with, with everything that just went on with Reuben Foster, this, this type of report certainly doesn't enhance the possibility that Brown comes to the 49ers. 49ers are, are pretty leery of locker room distractions and, and culture fits and all of those things, which we've talked about ad nauseum when, when talking about Brown in previous episodes. But this just sort of is another aspect to it that I think would make the 49ers hesitant to bring him in. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think, you know, you can cancel out the possibility of Brown playing in, in San Francisco entirely, but I think it's, we're, can, like, we can pretty, we can say pretty confidently that Brown is probably not going to come here. And if he does, it's probably not going to be for premium draft capital because the Steelers don't have a ton of leverage right now. And maybe, you know, when Brown gets traded, maybe it's something like a third or fourth round pick because uh, just, you know, this situation on top of everything that happened with him late last season, it just doesn't really seem like he's going to be a coveted player from the outside, particularly when you talk about having to pay him like one of your highest paid players. And it is an affordable contract if he remains, you know, one of the highest paid, one of the most productive receivers in football. Uh, but, you know, is are there going to be more incidents? Is, is this going to lead to a suspension? There's, you know, there are questions that come with Brown now. And I think the 49ers are going to feel pretty hesitant to pulling that trigger in a trade. Yeah, there's no way after everything that went down with Ruben Foster that they're going to be comfortable with that. If If they are, like you said, they're going to be certainly willing to pay less. But it wouldn't surprise me if after this, even though there was no arrest or or anything like that, it wouldn't surprise me if after this, they just kind of uh, eliminated the possibility of trading for him at all and decided to go another route with, with the draft capital that they would have used to acquire him. 
Yeah, and this is just something where it seems like if the 49ers were sort of straddling the fence on on the Brown idea and they were going to think about it and talk about it a lot and maybe meet with the Steelers at the Combine at the end of this month, this sort of seems like the type of thing that would tip tip the scales towards them not bringing him in. So, you know, we'll see. Um, this is obviously isn't, you know, we, we probably have six weeks before this plays out. Once the start of the new league year, I think March 15th is the date when Brown's roster bonus becomes guaranteed with the Steelers. So I'd imagine they'd want to trade him before then if that's what they decide to do. Um, so we're more than a month out from that, obviously. So a little bit more news. The 49ers are going to hire uh, another position coach. And uh, it's at another key area where they didn't get as much production as they would have liked last year. And it's a pretty famous guy. They're, they're going to hire Wes Welker uh, to become their receivers coach. And that was first reported by the Houston Chronicle. I think it was confirmed by Matt Barrows of The Athletic. Uh, the team has not confirmed it. So it's something that maybe the, the contract hasn't been signed yet, or, or maybe this is still early in the, in the process in terms of, you know, getting everything together to get that contract signed. But Kyle, what was your first thought when, when you heard about Wes Welker becoming the 49ers new receivers coach? I think they have several receivers who could certainly learn a lot from him. He was extremely productive. He was Julian Edelman before Julian Edelman. I'm not certain Welker ever won a Super Bowl, though. I don't think he did, but he was obviously a super productive receiver with with both Tom Brady, and then he played with with Peyton Manning for a while. Um, and I think the I think the Niners have a ton of receivers who could learn from him. I think a player like Richie James and a player like Trent Taylor are are both slot guys who could who can take a lot from the refinement that a player like Wes Welker uh can can bring. And I think that's super beneficial for a receiving core that needs any any experience they can get, even if it comes from from a coach. Yeah, and and uh I think there will be plenty of time to make all the jokes that we want to make about Trent Taylor and Wes Welker um being I'm not do- no, no, I'm not doing it. You're not going to go there? No, no. It was funny. Even Jimmy Garoppolo went there uh, <laughs> after, I think it was 2017, his first season. Um, you know, someone was asking the question, you know, Trent Taylor was playing really well at the end of 2017. And and I think the question was something along the lines of, uh, is there anybody with the, you know, that, that you played with, with the Patriots that sort of reminds you of Trent uh, just, you know, as a slot guy and, and, someone who can get open in small spaces and good route runner and all that. And, and Jimmy just goes, why don't, why don't you just say it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously he's talking about Julian Edelman, um, Super Bowl MVP, Julian Edelman. So Uh, so ipso facto Trent Taylor next year, Super Bowl MVP. But yeah, get your bets in now. (laughs) I think you could probably get pretty good odds on that. Um, so Wes Welker, I mean that, the, that, that's good news for the 49ers, I would think, just because you get someone who's experienced, who's been there, and I think it sort of eases the workload for for the rest of their staff. You had uh, Mike McDaniel and Michael Floor as sort of the the coordinators, the assistant coordinators for Kyle Shanahan, who of course calls the plays. But now those guys can can work more on game planning uh, than you know being in the room necessarily as a position coach working on all of the nuances of, of that. So we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, it sounds like it's going to happen. Uh, and I guess, so do we want to do this, this Keenan Williams thing, Queen and Williams thing? 
Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. We can run down it real quick, just because it's a hot. It's a hot button topic on the internet. Yeah. So so like mock drafts come out every week, every day really, and the 49ers have been bandied about with Alabama defensive tackle uh, Queen and Williams, who looks like a really good player and had a really good year for the Tide. Um, and you know, I just I think we've talked about this before, and I just don't really know exactly how drafting Keenan Williams would make sense for the 49ers. And and the only thing I could really think of is if they're determined not to give DeForest Buckner his second contract. Uh, otherwise, I, it just seems like a very redundant type of pick. Um, you know, I, I'm very much in, in the camp where you draft the best player available and, and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I think my feeling about that though has evolved over the last few seasons when you talk about positional value and the premium positions. And those are really the, the, those, if being good at those positions really impacts winning football games more than anything else. Right. So mm-hmm. those positions are quarterback, defensive end, pass rusher, um, receiver and corner. Right. Yep. So if you have, players at those positions then then you're fine then you can probably afford to get somebody like queen and williams with the number two overall pick if you have that guy which the 49ers have that guy into forrest buckner who's a three technique um it's not as simple as saying oh you need two defensive tackles the 49ers run a system where they have a three technique they have a zero technique and they have two ends williams probably projects to a three technique and that's deforest buckner's position that is like a highlighted position in the scheme, it's almost like the quarterback of the defensive line. His job, based on alignment, is to get after the quarterback. The nose tackle job, the zero technique, is to eat up blocks for everyone else, right? Which is not what Draft- you want out of your number two pick. Which is not what you want out of your number two pick. And it's not what you want of your best player if your number two pick takes over at three technique. So... You know, I I understand the people who say, well, best player available, you got to do it, you got to do it. I mean, if he's the best player available, I think that's a scenario where you trade back. Yeah. Um, and I think you and I are, are in agreement here when we say, you know, the 49ers should probably come away with an edge player. Um, and I asked a question on Twitter today. Uh, you know, Ke- Keenan Williams is probably going to cost uh, nine. This, well, the second overall pick is probably going to cost about nine million dollars a year. Mm hmm. And those first four years of his contract are fully guaranteed, plus a fifth year option, which will be even more than that. So I asked the question, you know, Nindamakan Sue is a free agent. Uh, Sheldon Richardson's a free agent. You could get these guys for less on a short term contract per season than you would have to pay for Keenan Williams using him or getting him with the number two overall pick. So we've talked a lot about how it's so much easier to find elite edge rushers in the draft than free agency because those guys don't come available mm-hmm. because of the franchise tag. And we went through it last year with all those guys. And last week's episode, when we talked about possible edge rushers, the 49ers could target, it's just much more difficult to find edge rushers. So with Nintamagan Sue and Sheldon Richardson being among the group of defensive tackles, um, I would make the argument that the 49ers would be better off if they want to get a tackle signing Sue or Sheldon Richardson and drafting an edge player. 
Yeah, that's that just that makes way more sense. And I believe you said that you asked Robert Sala about the idea of moving DeForest Buckner uh, out to defensive end and then playing Quinn and Williams at the three tech. And that didn't sound like it was going to happen. No, I, I've asked. It's been a kind of a constant discussion that we've had with Robert Sala because you look at what Calais Campbell did in Jacksonville. And he moved to the end and, and he had really good seasons there after playing inside early earlier in his career with with the Cardinals. And Sala said, look, like Buckner probably could do it. He would probably be one of our best guys out there, but he is our best three technique and that is the best position for him. And I think people sort of undervalue how important the three technique is in this defense. It's really like the most important position along the defensive line just in terms of being that anchor uh, and disrupting from the middle because that's sort of what the scheme revolves around. Right. So drafting another one of those guys, I guess, could make sense. But then, you know, what what happens to Solomon Thomas? Do you keep playing him out of position at an end because you drafted another defensive tackle? Right. Uh, Perhaps the bigger question, if the 49ers want to sign DeForest Buckner to that second contract, uh, and get it done as soon as possible because the sooner it happens, the cheaper it's going to be. Is Buckner going to feel inclined to sign that deal when the team drafts Queen and Williams, number two overall? Because if I'm Buckner and that happens, and this guy is going to play a lot of three technique or force me to nose, or he's going to play nose, and I'm going to play three technique, and there's going to be some sort of weird positional struggle there, wouldn't Buckner rather just hit free agency where he could cash out the most and then go to a team needing a three technique? Right. So I just don't see I just don't see the fit. And as much as maybe Williams might be the best player available, it's just not a fit that I see. And, you know, you go back through the history and, and you know, there's obviously confirmation bias involved in this. But like, what if Keenan Williams is Marcel Darius or what if he's in Dominican Sue? Like Sue is probably the best defensive tackle prospect of a generation. Right. Just in terms of like being a prospect. Yeah, he was really good how good he was in college and how much hype he came into the league with. Well, he's been on three teams. So do, do the lions look at taking Dominican Sue second overall? Like, Oh, that was an awesome pick. Probably not like defensive tackle. And now he's a free agent. So I I guess my point is like, even if he's a good defensive tackle, I feel like it's a position that you can maximize in other ways. And the 49ers already have a guy there in Buckner. So it just doesn't seem like a fit. And, uh, and, you know, I know it's easy to, to say, like, oh, Keenan Williams, best player available. The Niners would really bolster up their, their pass rush and things like that. It's like, well, I don't know. I just don't see it. If they didn't have, if they didn't have DeForest Buckner, if DeForest Buckner wasn't coming off here, this is probably a better scenario. If they didn't have DeForest Buckner coming off a just really excellent year, he was stellar in that, in that three tech spot. If he had struggled through his first three years or just was not a good pass rusher and it looked like nose tackle was going to be his position where he was going to be most effective, then then sure, take take a three tech and you'll figure it out. But uh, I, I just, when you look at their needs and the most glaring needs on their roster, it feels like they have to do the simple thing and just take a take an edge rusher. There, it's it's one of the most impactful positions on the field. And overthinking it is how teams get into the position where they're drafting in the top ten every year. Just take take 
the best player at your biggest position of need. And I know that's tough for, for a 49ers team that has so many holes on their roster, but if it's between Williams and an edge rusher, you, you just, you have to go edge to me. That that's the, that's the thing that makes the most sense. Uh, I get the idea that interior pass rush is important too, but that's why you have DeForest Buckner. You add an edge rusher that, that can affect the game as well. And now you're really cooking with gas. Right. Totally agree. And, you know, Leonard Williams is a really good player. Do the Jets love where they drafted him? I think the argument can be no. And I know people want to say, well, if he's Aaron Donald, it's a great pick. You got two of the best interior line. <laughs> right. If he's a transcendent talent. Great. <laughs> right. If he's a Hall of Famer, then yeah, you're right. I just think there's there's much higher probability that that Keenan, Queenan, Keenan Williams is like Marcel Darius or Glenn Dorsey or somebody like that than Aaron Donald, because Aaron Donald is absolutely the exception and not the rule. You can't just because somebody is a highly touted prospect coming in and expected, expected to go in the top 10 doesn't mean he's going to be that guy. There are a lot of defensive linemen, particularly interior guys. And I know DeForest Buckner is an exception in this too, because he was a seventh overall pick. There are just a lot of guys who are, who are just guys and who don't dominate in the NFL like they did in college. And I think as a defensive tackle, that's one of the positions where it's probably easiest to dominate because the guard play in college, and I know it's the SEC, but it's entirely different than the NFL. And just because he was dominant for one year in college doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate. And if you draft Queen and Williams and he doesn't turn into a star, then you have a bunch of you still have some really pressing needs at far more premium positions than defensive tackle. Right. And I'm going to step off my soapbox. Hey, I'm just real quick before we, before we move on to the thing that we're actually going to talk about today, I'm looking at that 2010 draft where Indomitian Sue went number two. And boy, is that a rough draft? <laughs> Sam Bradford one and Indomitian Sue two. Gerald McCoy's a good player. He went three. Trent Williams is a good player. For- Gerald McCoy is another example. Okay, good good player. If the Niners got Gerald McCoy in five years, are, are is everybody jumping jumping out of their shorts for Gerald McCoy? Like, especially when it's a defensive right. Tackle. right. It's it's uh, it's just not an impactful position. The the difference between the uh who, who the difference between Khalil Mack and Cassius Marsh is much greater than the difference between like uh who's who's um I don't want to say Aaron Donald because he's so like ridiculously good like Chris Jones like Chris Jones right D- Kansas City defensive tackle really good player but Sheldon Day can affect a game maybe not as much as Chris Jones but do, do you get what I'm getting at the difference yeah, between the best you, you, you can middle find, edge rusher is way bigger than the difference between the best and middle defensive tackle. Exactly. And there are going to be a lot of defensive tackles in this draft. Uh, Chris Jones, by the way, an early second round pick. Right. And is one of the best defensive tackles right. in football. So, I mean, I, I just think, and and the reason one of the reasons why Chris Jones was good is because the Chiefs had two really good edge uh-huh. rushers. Um, so that's, that's also, I think the best way to compliment... That's also worth noting is when you look at all the really good like interior defensive linemen, there's usually some pretty good edge rushers around them to uh, to help out. Aaron Donald's not alone on that defensive line. No, 
and Ndamukong Sue, who everyone wants to talk about when talking about Queen and Williams to the 49ers. Well, oh, you get you, it could be like Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue. Well, you know, it's a lot like more affordable in the long run and less risky is just signing Sue to a one or two year deal. Right. And then you can use your first round pick on an edge rusher who might be a star player who you never acquire in free agency while you could get a pretty good defensive tackle in free agency every You know what? In fact, let's uh, next pod, we'll do free agent defensive tackles. Sweet. To just prove our point even more. Hell yeah. Man, we're going to hammer, we're going to hammer this, this Queen and Williams thing like 15 times. This soapbox we are on is sturdy as heck. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get to the reason for this podcast. Uh, we're going to preview the inside linebacker position in free agency. Um, the 49ers, so obviously losing Ruben Foster was one of the biggest stories of the 2018 season. He's no longer on the team. His status, even with Washington, is very much in the air as he remains on the commissioner's exempt list following his arrest in Tampa the night before the game against the Buccaneers, which the 49ers uh, released him thereafter. I will never forget where I was and what was happening when all of that news came down. Um, But that's a story for another podcast. So who the 49ers have on that roster, on their roster, Uh, Fred Warner, a third round pick last year, really good rookie season. He looks like he's going to be a long-term starter. Malcolm Smith, a veteran who we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, is still around. Elijah Lee, who stepped in and played for Reuben Foster at weak side linebacker. Uh, a former seventh-round pick of the Vikings. Brock Coyle, a former member of the Seattle Seahawks, uh, got hurt in week one last year, starting for Reuben Foster while Foster was suspended. Uh, James Unwalu, Mark Nzacha. Uh, that sort of rounds out the, the guys who can play inside linebacker for them on their current their current roster. I think I have this as a four-star need. I think, you know, whether it's free agency or the draft, I think the 49ers need to add somebody capable of starting or or pushing for a starting job. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they used a second or third round pick at the position because Reuben Foster left a massive void. Um, and maybe uh, they trade back in, in, in the first round and maybe go linebacker. I would be shocked uh, because I don't think linebacker carries the same type of value, like we've said, as, as you know, edge rusher mm-hmm. or some of those other positions. Um, so, yeah, four star f- need for me out of five Kyle where are you at on this well I was at three and then I bumped it to three and a half but you convinced me I I I think it's right up there I think we had edge is five and then receiver is four I think this is about as important as wide receiver for the Niners just in terms of finding a player who can not only slot in as a starter but potentially be a long-term starter on their defense they don't have to be a pro bowler or an all pro or anything like that but Somebody who can just be a really solid starter, and I think if they go uh, use one of their day two picks on this position, it would it would really behoove them. Or if they were going to to spend uh, spend money in free agency or, or overspend a little bit, I think this is one of the positions. Yeah, they so might Malcolm do it Smith on. is probably worth talking about. Obviously, played very sparingly, dealt with injuries the last two years after signing uh, that five year twenty six point five million dollar contract, coming over from the Raiders. Previously, he was with the Seattle Seattle Seahawks, where he knew, obviously, coordinator Robert Sala, who was an assistant there, coach linebackers. The 49ers probably overpaid Uh, a lot of people. There was a lot of hand-wringing about that $26.5 million contract. 
Um, I mean, yeah, it's I guess it's a lot for Malcolm Smith, but the Niners had so much cap space that really was a drop in the bucket and it didn't matter all that much. The problem was that he didn't do very much. He he missed his entire first season with a torn pec. Uh, he was in and out of the lineup last year. They moved him to Sam, Sam linebacker where he wouldn't his, he wouldn't be required to be as mobile uh, as he would have been if he was playing more inside. So I think there is a very good chance that Malcolm Smith is released. And if he's given a post-June 1st uh, designation, it'll save the 49ers over $4 million in cap space uh, and carry just about uh, about $3.5 million in dead cap over the next two years. Uh, and the guaranteed money in, in his contract runs out or ran out after the 2018 season on that five-year deal. So really... It was sort of a, a two-year contract with a, with a year-to-year, uh, I guess, basis go, going thereafter. So I'm expecting Smith to, to get released. Uh, maybe he's uh, you know in, in line with Earl Mitchell, who's already been let go. Uh, maybe Pierre Garçon. This is that first free agent class that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan put together. Um, and these guys are probably aging out, and they could pro- the 49ers could probably go cheaper, uh, more affordable, and more efficient options elsewhere. So if Smith is gone, which which is what we expect, I think it's, you know, linebacker, the, the need becomes a little bit more highlighted. Yeah, he's just, he at this point in his career, and he showed it last year, that he's really just kind of an expensive depth piece at this point. And where the 49ers are in their, in their roster construction, they really can't afford to have a player like that around. They need somebody who they're comfortable, can come in and contribute. And Smith for, you know, on the field, it just can't can't do that anymore. I don't think. Agreed. So let's get into the first first name on our list, uh, and it's C.J. Mosley of the Ravens, and that's probably not super surprising. Uh, this is a guy who's been a second team All Pro in four of his five seasons. Uh, his status in Baltimore is definitely worth watching. He's one of the more intriguing free agents. He, he very well could get the franchise tag, but the Ravens have another player, uh, Patrick Own. Owasso is a pronunciation of it, um, who replaced Mosley in, in spurts last year and and might be, you know, the faster, uh, better in coverage player. I think if, if Mosley came to the 49ers, he would probably displace Warner at Mike and the 49ers would move Warner to Will where Warner could, you know, play play a little bit faster, used, be used a little bit more in coverage. Uh, and as someone who you know relies on his speed more, while Mosley can be sort of the brains of the operation, and I think if the 49ers had Mosley and Warner, I think that would be a really good combination. I think they would complement each other well, and and because the 49ers have the strong safety in the box a good amount of the time, they don't need that Mike linebacker to be ultra fast. And I think Mosley is probably still fast enough to cover the ground he'll need to gr- cover in that single gap scheme with the free safety. Or the, sorry, the strong safety playing, uh, playing in the box. So, I, I think I mean Mosley is is certain. You know, the linebackers don't get paid a ton of money. I think you're talking eight to ten million dollars a year. The 49ers are going to have plenty of cap space to make that happen if they want to. The franchise tag for Mosley is going to be upwards of fifteen million. So it's hard to see the Ravens giving him that tag because that would make him far and away mm-hmm. the highest paid linebacker in the league for for next season. What are your uh, what are your thoughts on CJ Mosley? When you look at what the 49ers need on their roster, a really solid starter who can come in and be a hundred tackle type of guy 
in the middle of their defense, I think would be really beneficial. Mosley's just just a really solid football player and has been at the heart of a really very good Ravens defense over the last few years. He went to Alabama. He's well-coached there. He's been well-coached in Baltimore. And just a guy who, when he comes in, knows what he's doing. And that would greatly benefit uh, the 49ers as they search for for another starting inside So the next guy on our list, uh, another good player uh, who might be a little bit injury-prone, which which is going to bring some risk, but also with that risk, it might drive the cost down. Jordan Hicks of the Philadelphia Eagles missed 13 games the last two years uh, with various injuries. Third-round pick out of Texas in 2015. Uh, just a good player who has experience playing in a good defense. Obviously, a lot of postseason experience the last couple of years. Kyle, give me your Jordan Hicks take. Yeah, it's the same. A lot of the same. A lot of the same stuff as Mosley. Just when you look at both his traditional stats and his advanced stats, he's just a really solid player. He can uh, rush the passer a little bit. He's he's a solid tackler. He can cover. Just does a lot of the the little things that the Niners need their linebackers to do, and as you mentioned, was a really good player on a very good Eagles defense. He won a championship and is another player who they might have to pay a little bit, but he can come in and you know he's going to start and contribute right away. And that is invaluable uh, for the 49ers and especially getting somebody who, because missed tackles were such an issue for them last year, getting somebody uh, who is a sure tackler is I think going to be huge in improving their defense and and Hicks is that. So if they were going to go out and, and spend a little cash on, at inside linebacker and Mosley doesn't come available, I think Hicks would be a great second Yeah, option. and for the spider graph spark score people. Um, That's you. That you're just <laughs> describing yourself. Uh, Hicks, Hicks is probably <laughs> the, the best guy on this list in terms of measurables. Uh, explosive jumper, 38-inch uh, vertical outs in the 88th percentile among linebackers. Broad jump, 89th percentile. Three-cone drill, pretty important for linebackers, 92nd percentile, 6.78. Um, and just, you know, the very emblematic of the athletic linebacker that you want, somebody who could cover uh, tight ends and, and running backs and things like that. I think he's probably going to be one of the most expenses, expensive options on this list, but I think there's a ton of upside there if he can stay healthy. Uh, the next guy is somebody we've talked about on this pod before, KJ Wright of the Seahawks. There's obviously a, a lot of similarities between the defense, the 49ers run, and what they do up in Seattle. Um, the Seahawks, I mean, Wright missed – he only played in five games last year due to a knee injury. Uh, he turns 30 in July, so those are obviously a couple of red flags. But the Seahawks could definitely let him go because they have Austin Calitro, a, a former 49er who played, had a cup of coffee with them in 2017, who played pretty well last year for Seattle in place of right next to Bobby Wagner. Uh, Wright's just somebody who has experience in the scheme. He could play Will Linebacker. He's a veteran. Um, obviously Richard Sherman and him, I'm sure have a relationship and have built chemistry over the years. Um, you know, if you move on from Malcolm Smith, maybe you replace him with KJ, Wright, The same way the Seahawks did when, when Smith left, uh, I think it makes sense. And I think it, it'll probably be an affordable option. Um, but maybe a tier below a significant, significantly below, I guess, Hicks and, uh, and Mosley. Yeah, I think if they're going to go that direction and sign KJ Wright, it would indicate that 
they plan on drafting a linebacker maybe early on day three, somebody who they don't need to slot in and start right away, but uh, somebody they don't need to have slot in and start right away with with KJ Wright starting for uh, maybe that first year or two, and then and then plugging that that second or third year linebacker in that that they draft in 2019. But yeah, I I'm in agreement with you that he's certainly a tier below, but a serviceable starter which is more than uh, the Niners can say they have on their roster. Yeah, and Mosley right and Hicks are probably guys you're going to sign to four-year deals, right? You'll probably sign to a two-year deal or maybe one of their phony you know, four-year deals that's really just a, a year-to-year deal, which which the 49ers do a lot. Yeah. And you know, it, It's all about allocating guaranteed money. And, and once you get out of the guaranteed money allocations, then you can move on with, with very few financial restrictions. So that's what Parag Marate, their their chief financial guy, does a lot of the time with these contracts. So yeah, I think Wright would fall into that category. He's the type of addition they would make, like you said, in addition to a draft pick. Um, you probably could get away with not drafting a linebacker of any significance if you bring in Hicks or Mosley. And you still you still feel pretty good with Elijah Lee maybe and Brock Coyle rounding out that group. Um, and you know we'll see what happens with Mark and Zacha too. Uh, so the next guy on our list is a guy that you wanted to add to it, Kyle. Um, yeah. <laughs> he had two interceptions against the Niners in week 17, including a touchdown. He had an interception in the Super Bowl. Uh, Corey Littleton. Yeah, he... So when when we were talking about his stats earlier, it turns out I was on the wrong year. So... <laughs> That's happened twice. It's fine. I know, dude. Just well, it happened the same time because I was switching through players without ever changing the year. So, uh, Corey Littleton had his best year as a pro this year. Made a huge jump forward in his first year as a full time starter. Uh, excellent in coverage. Really good tackler, and he had eleven pass breakups, four interceptions, including, like you said, two against the Forty ers uh, Just a really solid player on on a Rams defense that. Uh, was was up and down, but Littleton was very consistent uh, and was was just a very good player uh, that I think the Niners can probably get for pretty cheap. It's a little dicey that he only had the one year of production, but uh, he's athletic and can uh, and can probably slot in at the will linebacker spot and and be a productive player there. Yeah, and at some point. I mean, the Rams have a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys coming up on contracts, and they only have thirty-four million in cap space. Excuse me. So it's not crazy to think that Littleton hits the open market, um, and you know he's an athletic guy who, like you said, and, and could probably help the 49ers at least, uh, you know, bridge the gap maybe between their their current status and you know the starter of the future. Maybe if they if they invest a, a third or fourth round pick in the linebacker, the last guy on this list, Quan Alexander of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he tore his ACL in week seven last year, uh, and it's unknown if he's going to be ready in time for the start of the season. Um, but I think what we know about ACL injuries is, is that the prognosis sort of improves as obviously medical technology and rehab and all that stuff gets better. Uh, so, you know, if, if the 49ers like his athletic upside and he's a very athletic player, uh, maybe he's worth taking a flyer on adding to the group and uh, he could come on a very cheap deal and, you know, maybe compete. 
and help help the 49ers in terms of depth. Yeah, if the Niners are are comfortable with with his uh injury outlook, he's certainly an athletic player who could fit that well linebacker spot. He struggled a little bit last year before his injury, but in the in the couple of years prior to that in 2016 and 2017, he was a really solid player for Tampa Bay and I think slotting into a system next to next to Fred Warner where uh his his athleticism can really shine especially in coverage I think would would maximize his his talent uh in a way that maybe it wasn't being maximized in Tampa Bay so like like you mentioned that ACL is obviously a huge red flag and may may keep him from getting any kind of look from San Francisco but uh, if they do look his way and, and they are comfortable with with him coming back uh fully healthy then he's a player I could see them signing for pretty cheap and and getting some good production out yeah, of him. Yeah, and it, and it should be noted, the Niners defensive coordinator, Robert Sala, is a linebacker's coach at heart, and he's done really well developing uh, sort of these undersized coverage linebackers, and I think that's sort of exactly what Quan Alexander is. Um, he's really fast. He ran a 4.55 in the combine coming out in 2015. Um, short arms, like extremely short arms, like Chris Borland short arms, uh, 30, 30 and a quarter inches, which is in the first percentile, uh, among all linebackers in the league. Uh, first is, is the worst in this case. So extremely short arms, but, a but a very athletic guy. Um, so yeah, somebody they could bring in possibly, uh, take a flyer on and maybe if he recovers from his injury and, and Robert Sala can get the most out of him, then he turns into a pretty good pretty good pickup uh with very very little risk as long as you're not uh you know signing him to any sort of crazy money um yeah and i think i think that's that's important to note with with the exception of guys like mosley and hicks who will certainly have a market i think players like wright littleton and alexander uh will both have to come uh, a lot cheaper whereas a player like mosley or hicks if you're going to get them to come to santa clara it's going to be it's going to be on a much more significant contract. So it really depends on on where the 49ers want to allocate their resources uh, in free agency. Right. And two guys that are probably worth mentioning, though we we don't officially have on our list, uh, that I think are kind of intriguing and, and sort of along the same lines of guys we're talking about in terms of guys you can bring in uh, in tandem with young players, uh, whether it be through the draft or after the draft or whatever. Uh, Sean Lee, longtime Dallas Cowboy. I know he has a ton of injury issues, uh, but if he is just in your building, in your linebackers room, I think everyone benefits. I think the coaches can benefit. I think the players around him can benefit. Even if he does deal with injuries, I think he's the same. He's he's the type of veteran um, who who would help the room a lot, who Fred Warner could learn a lot from um, and Elijah mm-hmm. Lee could learn a, a lot from and, and all those guys. Uh, obviously, you know, the 49ers really value locker room chemistry and all that. And I think Sean Lee sort of epitomizes what you look for in a football player off the field. And I think you could say the same for another older guy, uh, who's not returning to, to the Carolina Panthers and Thomas Davis, uh, obviously a former Walter Payton man of the year winner, just, you know, still a solid player was, was fast when he was young, probably not so fast anymore. But maybe somebody who could you could just bring in as sort of a mentor, take a flyer on, um, 
you know, I don't know if it's if it's your your plan A, B, or C, but if you need somebody and he's still out there, uh, I think there are worse ideas. I, I am a big believer in sort of all the off the field stuff and and the type of influence a really quality veteran can have. Yeah. And I think we saw it this last year with Richard Sherman, and obviously Sherman's younger than both of those guys uh, right now. And and obviously when the 49ers signed him, but I think there could be a similar type impact with guys like Sean Lee and Thomas Davis who wouldn't break the bank and, and maybe, you know, they could, they could, uh, they could outplay their age and in a limited role, maybe the 49ers can get something out of those guys. Yeah, that's, that's, they're two names that probably aren't going to pop up on people's free agent radar, but when the Niners, with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, they focus so much on that culture. Those are two guys, both Lee and Davis, who are, I think, very well liked around the league and could certainly come in. And even if even if you don't get a ton of production, even if they, they start the first half of the season and then Elijah Lee comes in and starts the second half, I think you could still get a ton of value out of, go, out of either of those guys, for especially for the kind of contract they would command. I don't think there's going to be a huge market for them. And you could effectively sign a, a player coach to uh, to a really cheap deal in uh, in free agency. I think that wraps us up. Is there anything else you want to add, Kyle? No, I think I I I, I think how the 49 this is obviously true for for all positions, but I'm really interested to see how they want to address that that spot next to Fred Warner in in the middle of the front seven and <clears throat> excuse me depending on because right now I think this is like a day two draft need but if they go get a player like Hicks or Mosley who's in their uh, mid-20s I don't think they need to go after it at all in the draft so this is a very very interesting position for me uh, free agency wise because depending on what direction they go I think it could really impact uh, how they approach the draft in April. Totally agree. Anything you want to add about uh, Queen and Williams? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no, uh, no, I got, I got nothing. You covered it. All right. Yeah. We spent about 20 minutes on that topic early on. <laughs> um, so I think that's going to wrap us up. Uh, thank you for listening to Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we are out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.